So today we're uh, we're joined by one of the UK's most celebrated coaches. I think it was uh, 2015 that our guest won the LTA Lifetime Achievement Award. I think what what co- what sets this coach apart for me is his passion for the sport that he loves. It it burns as bright now as it ever has done. Um, he's coached players from beginners to players on tour. He's been junior national team coach. He's been responsible for thousands developing a love of the game. Today's My Tennis Journey guest is Keith Reynolds. Welcome, Keith. How are you doing? Thank you very much for putting me on your breakfast show, Rob. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Come on. Come on. Well, now, I know, Keith, there's so many topics we could talk about. We could do a whole series of podcasts with your good self. But there's one area that, that I've heard you talk about that I just think makes so much sense. It, it's so spot on. And that's how the skills that you get on a tennis court really can become life skills that serve you well through your life, through your working life, through your personal life. And I, I was wondering if you could just begin by outlining what your position is on this and, and how you've got to it. I think there'd be several ingredients to make up the answer. One is simply because of age. So consequently, being the age that I am now, there is a good chance of being able to look back over a bigger range of experience for myself and experiences for other people than it could have possibly happened uh, at an earlier stage. So one of the things that, and of course, none of this is proven at this moment, is anecdotal evidence, it's personal experience. But it's personal experience that I would put a lot of my life savings behind backing if I had to go to a court of law to prove it. Go on. And I'd certainly, if it was all your life savings, I definitely <laughs> would back it. Um, one is seeing the journey of people who I would have known as youngsters and where they are now. And that could well be um, 35 to 40 years later in their lives and having a feel for what tennis did for them. There's also my own personal life journey. There is, strange enough, the, uh, a bit of new anecdotal evidence, and that's the person I'm speaking to right now <laughs> who's making his mark on the tennis court, having been a tennis junior as Come such. On. But it was, let's go a little bit more than that, if I could. And remember, I am not a scientist, but a person who cares uh, about the game enormously for myself and for others, and one who tries to find causes, not effects. And looking for causes, to me, is the, the real root of, of deep um, education. Yeah. First of all, tennis. I think and I would go into court to argue that tennis is a microcosm of life, which is a macrocosm. And the reason I would start off with that is because I genuinely believe that tennis has not been imported from some intergalactic foreign planet planted here and we were forced to play it. I would suggest that it's a result of human imagination, human evolution, and has survived like all um, recreational activities have survived, because evolutionary, it is good for us. Yeah. 
If it hadn't, it would have died on the vine earlier periods, as other things which I can't talk about because I don't know have also died on the vine. The yeah. tennis is very much alive. And it would seem to me that if the human brain, which has creates the world that we are living in right now, the macro world, and we're talking on a very sophisticated piece of technology, yeah. which has not been borrowed from Mars, it has been invented here, the tennis <clears throat> is an invention of the human brain for good. And therefore, there is nothing inside of games that you can't find outside of games yeah. because we are using the same software system to do it all. So if the software system <clears throat> that we need for a macro life, a life of careers or um, outside of the tennis court, a life that involves having relationships with people, a, a life that involves bringing up children, a life that means development of community, the ingredients that are required then will also be found on the tennis court. Yeah. And, I, and I, would, I would go into a contest to say, name me something that you don't experience in the macro life that you can't experience in the micro life. Yeah. Yeah. But the beauty about a sport and especially tennis, and if we were to talk about why tennis is so extraordinarily special within this, is the fact that it is not life-threatening. You drive a car, I drive a car. If we'd have got it wrong in our teenage years, we not, might not be talking now over the cameras. It's fair to say I did a few times. I think I got lucky there. Play <laughs> <laughs> Richard Rawley for that, by the way. <laughs> you, and, you and the other F1 Formula champions hunt, hunt the shunt and everybody else. Yes, all the rest of it. But it's true, isn't it? It's true. It's, it's life-enhancing. It's not life-threatening. Correct. And therefore, I, the chances are, if I had had 500 marriages, I would probably get it right on the 501. If I had 500 companies that went bankrupt, I might get it right on the 501st company. But that's not the type of chances you get in the macro life. But how many tennis matches have you lost, Rob? And I can beat that because I've been playing longer and so I've lost a lot more and still available to be able to play the following week. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about juniors and the formation of their software system, there is an infinite number of matches they could go on to play. No limitation. All they have to do is to put a signature at the end of an entry form or to join in the club championship, or to take up the invite for the weekend match play that could be put on at various levels. And all that has to happen is dry your tears and try again next week. Yeah. So you are rehearsing life on the tennis court for the life outside of the tennis court. Yeah, and so I would suggest and I, that if we spent the money and the technology was available, I would bet that if you put electrodes, magnetic resonance imaging and all the type of scientific monitoring of brain activity, and you put 
could record in that respect a tennis match played by juniors as well as of ourselves as seniors but juniors are of course um, um, the people we're helping to form to become uh, quality adults of the future I would imagine that you would see the brain lighting up in every department like a light show at a rock concert and that use that mental gym that development of mental pathways for decision making for dealing with adversity for uh, uh, calling the score of shaking hands at the end of a match will be wonderful ingredients to take into your life when the tennis junior uh, times are finished. Yeah, and I think this is this for me is is the absolute key, and it's it's the real learning that's that's sort of always been in my mind, but it's been through speaking to you, your good self that it's really brought it to life. You know, if I if I think about my junior tennis days and and losing a match, then resilience you know you can't always win in life life is a series of obstacles life is a roller coaster as Ronan Keating said and tennis prepares you for that because you you know you, there's only one winner of a tournament as I've heard you say many times so resilience Keith I mean this tennis teaches you resilience what a skill absolutely because just think if what would happen to a lifetime of which you're experiencing and I have even more experience if at adversity you stopped, you went back to bed, you pulled the duvet covers over your head and you never came out again. And I would suggest that when speaking with parents, and if I were to say to them, would you like to become your uh, junior to become a, a, a very competent tennis player? The answer would be yes, because they're already taking them to tournaments, paying for coaching, uh, giving up their time, investing energy, and transporting them to tennis opportunities. But I don't think that becoming a good tennis player or the parents asking for the children to become good at GCSE or A-level or university or tertiary education or NVQ or um, um, trade skill sets is what they really want. Because I regard those as all tools that you acquire to help live what is a deep, meaningful, satisfactory, add value to the community life. Yeah. And I would suggest, and you're a parent, Rob, if I said to you, what do you want for your parents? The chances of a response being uh, like happiness, fulfillment, meaning in life is coming true, of which becoming a good tennis player helps a bit, of which uh, getting GCSEs help a bit but the real way of, of living life well is to have skills that live life well and I think you get those on the tennis court whether you're trying them for them or not yeah. and the fact that we don't formalize it doesn't mean to say they're not there yeah but it does actually recognize an opportunity of being able to genuinely promote it because whatever um, advert you might put out for your tennis courses or I could have done for my tennis courses might talk about what we will do on the tennis court in terms of forehands, backhands, serves, length of time, uh, match at the end of it. The, the content 
But why can't the content be, we are also encouraging life skill development. We are also encouraging all those ingredients of which you've just been talking about, which will help everybody when they leave the tennis court, because you are the person all the time. And you're only a tennis player when you walk out into the court, close the door, get the racket out the bag and swap a ball. Then you're the person as a tennis player. So well, the true. person hasn't changed. So true. I mean, you know, when I think back to my kind of days and uh, in Cumbria, when I started out playing in Cumbria, when my first coach was Alistair Hyam, and I realised, you know, straight away how much I enjoyed hitting tennis balls around. But I also think back now, and I think, you know, one of the things I've loved in my corporate career is presenting. I, I like to be get up in front of a crowd, and and I realised that on a tennis court. Because, you know, we might, we didn't have big crowds, but I realised that I like playing, I like playing in front of a, of a, a crowd. Wonderful. The, the, the reason why it really started to take root on with me, and then I gained confidence in being able to get on a soapbox at Speaker's Corner Hyde Park and get two people <laughs> listening of the stuff before they started to throw tomatoes and oranges and move <laughs> off was I trialed one or two experiments in the continent. The first country was Sweden and the next one was Austria. I was invited by a European group of coaches to come out to do um, sessions which help promote uh, parental um, uh, education uh, as well as the on-court work with the coaches and the players I requested from these coaches that for the parentally part, which was the evenings, and this was in Malmo, Gothenburg, Stockholm, and Salzburg four times, yeah. I said to, uh, knowing like a performer requires, if you go into stage to sing, I hope, you'd, I hope your first song is a good one and keeps the audience, as it were. So true. As you were, one chance to make your first impression. All of those things. If you were a comedian at a comedy club, I hope it's a good joke, the first one. Otherwise, you're going to, everybody's drifted off to the bar to buy more drinks. Likewise, I needed something to make uh, an impression, in my opinion. And what I did was to ask the coaches to get two volunteer players. And they, volunteers was very important. Uh, they needed to be over uh, kind of young teenagers. They weren't matured as 18-year-olds and they weren't playing sponge ball tennis as juniors. <clears throat> um, I also made the dramatic mistake of saying that if they could speak English quite well, that would be beautiful. And finding all of those countries where they spoke English far better than I did <laughs> made, me, made me feel very stupid. Yeah. So, so imagine now I'm at uh, where it actually took place in the King's Hall, which is a Davis Cup stroke Federation Cup venue indoor in the King's Club, um, Stockholm. Sounds very grand. Very grand. This is a big seater audience and uh, quite a few parents are there and also well-wishers or people interested or coaches. I've got two volunteer youngsters walk out onto court. They have volunteered to play 15 minutes worth of competitive tennis. I then said to the parents, 
this is the opening of the evening, and I don't know where it will go from there, but it'll go from there depending upon the response to what I'm putting on. Your task is, if you've got the bottle to do it, is to, at the end of the competitive period that these juniors play, is to tell me what you have seen. What did you witness? One or two questions came in, like, uh, are you talking about first serves or anything like that, Keith? I said, if that's what you see, please tell me about it. Brilliant. Now, the only risk I was taking is I thought I knew what the parents would come back with as a report on the tennis match. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can imagine what it would be, but tell us, Keith, what, what, what sort of things did the, the parents they say? They came back and they talked about these youngsters not going to the net very much. They talked about how difficult they found overheads if they were at the net, overhead smashes, as it were. They talked about the fact that they traded balls from the back of the court. They talked that they weren't able to hit many aces. They missed balls in half-court positions when they were the dominant player within the rally. Yeah. And all of it was true. That is what they saw. And when they had finished, as per the agreement, I would say I'd come back in with also what I witnessed. Well, I egged, I egged it up a little bit at my opening remarks because I said, you have been in the gallery looking down into the tennis court, and that's the nature of it, a stadium. Yes. I said... I hadn't seen anything so brave since I saw Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Come on. Here are, here are two gladiators walking out onto the court, knowing that somebody's going to live, somebody's going to die, they, that they could make absolute fools of themselves. They know that they are on a roller coaster ride of win and lose. And I said to the parents, if I asked uh, the kids to give you the racket, would you dare walk down onto the court right now and give me an exhibition tennis match. And of course, it then opened up all of the conversation to do with the mental preparation, the mental skills, the mental fortitude by which children could go down onto a tennis court, play an exhibition match in front of adults. And of course, in fact, under all the four venues that it took place at, the, 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 as it were, the, the club manager or the janitor had to come and say, look, look, we've got to switch the lights out. It's time <laughs> to finish. Because the conversation was so deep and so rich yeah. in terms of what really was happening underneath the water level line. Yeah. The iceberg, you see the hit on top, but the iceberg underneath is all about mental skills. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that gladiatorial arena is is what tennis can bring that you don't get in other sports. You know, in, in I'm a massive fan of football. I coach, you know, our one of our children's football teams. Yeah. Yes. It's a team sport and you get amazing things from team sports, but it's not that one on one, you know. Correct. You can you hear it in commentaries about players going missing and things. You can do that in football. You cannot in tennis. That spotlight is firmly on you. Absolutely. And the wonderful thing with tennis is if you want to extend it into a team game, all yeah. you do is call it doubles, whether it's yeah. boys, girls, or mixed doubles. Yeah. And so tennis, therefore, is magnificent preparation. And then you put it on the fact that it is an international language. 
you don't have to speak Spanish to play a game in Spain. You don't have to, all you have to do is to show the rackets and point you me and spin your racket and say, "Please serve." Yeah, such a such a great way of making friends, isn't it? I know yeah, totally. Like Becky, my wife, when she moved to London, her community developed around the fact that she could just turn up at a tennis club, say hello, get to know people, make friends, form a social community. And if you have any competence, because you've been interested in the game, like Becky would have done, then all of a sudden it's somebody saying, would you please come and play? Would you please like to try out for the team? Would you? So the door opens because you are bringing in a skill which is truly internationally recognized. 124 countries with Davis Cup teams? Yeah, it really I mean, is. This is really it covers the globe. The international language of tennis. So, I mean, I, you know, I see, and this is great stuff. I mean, I see parents getting involved in tennis and investing in tennis. You know, they're investing in tennis. And there's all sorts of different reasons. Um, it could be the dream of Wimbledon. It, you know, it, it could be time away from a games console because their child is playing a lot of Fortnite or whatever. What, what would your guidance be for parents that are starting out on a tennis journey for their child? Well, uh, it, in many respects, Rob, I've always been more attracted to coaching or helping people who can't play the game than people who can play the game. And so, therefore, it takes me back to experiences that I would have with juniors who were fairly ambitious to become good at tennis, but were suffering from all the types of things that would hold them back. Now, the parents would see that as being a problem, as it were, because it was help, holding back their tennis career, anger at the end of losing a point, yeah. the inability to kind of keep their nerve when, when, the, when they were in a winning position. And I would, my response to parents were, wow, this is not a problem. And all you are doing is finding out what requirements your child needs to get ready for the adult world. <laughs> would you rather than be nervous on a tennis court and learn to cope with it? Or would you rather than be nervous when they first make their presentation to their department, cop out of it, and lose their confidence in being able to hold the job that they have just been promoted to. It's so true. Yeah. Because if tennis is a roller coaster emotional ride, then the areas of strength and weakness that we all possess will be exposed by that. But how nice to have a rehearsal arena rather than it being critical for the quality of the life as an adult and what what a rehearsal you know if you can step up in a tight match in front of people you break point down you've missed your first serve you've <laughs> got to get that second serve over and in and oh you know that is preparation isn't it you've raised you've raised my pulse rate already you've taken me <laughs> back to all my life exactly and that's right. I think the, the amazing thing here, and you touched on it earlier, but, you know, you, you, let's come back to it, is the preparation of being able to do that for a career. And if we think about some of the people we know and the careers that they've gone into, 
the tennis court prepares you, gets you ready for the chances of having success in a, a career, whatever that might be. Absolutely. And I would also put a, put a bet on the fact that, and I might just be able to offer you just a little bit of evidence over the, over the uh, discussion that we're having now. I would, I, would, I would bet that people who go into the tennis game, and I, and I use the terminology now, tennis experience, because that can cover people who want to go and play for an hour's social tennis before they have a drink at the pub on Sunday and then have lunch. Two people who have dreams of greatness. Yeah. Everywhere in between, which goes from club to county to national to international, whatever. The tennis experience. The deeper the tennis experience, the more likely you are to pick up valuable tools from having played tennis but it being very good for everybody. But what has, what has been extraordinarily interesting to me is to see people who basically were disadvantaged act academically in comparison to the normal curve, go on to have meaningful lives through the medium of tennis and what tennis has done for them. Yeah. I would also suggest that those people who are academically uh, normal or even smart will get even better grades than they would have done. Because one of the things that you do as you dig into the tennis experience is learn discipline. Time to play, the match, the practice, the coaching lesson, whatever it is. And homework is only a particular uh, time outside of that. And with limited opportunity, you'd better get it done because you haven't got all day to do it in, yeah. as it were. And this was shown by a, a longitudinal study called the Training of Young Athletes, sponsored by the Sports Council many years ago. And, and people from Derbyshire took part in it as well. There were aspiring young people out of tennis, football, gymnastics, swimming, <clears throat> and then a control group who did nothing of the night that you could compare them against. Yeah. Were, was studied by Steve Rousley, um, a, a psychologist, for five years. And they, these career, uh, through their sports, were tracked as well as the families. I thought tennis might come out badly because tennis is very parental dependent. Getting to courts, getting away from courts, getting to tournaments, etc. Whereas the others were team bus things. Yeah get to the things, leave the children there, pick them up at the end of the gym corner, uh, uh, swimming, the festival, football match, etc. But tennis came out as the sport that united families best. And the strange reason was, Rob, parents and children spent so much time in an enclosed space together, the car, yeah. and all the things which are family issues had opportunity to be dealt with, investigated, hopefully sorted out. Whereas in the other cases, they weren't. So it united families together in what I thought was going to be a massive disadvantage. But it was advantageous. Uh, and then yeah. another piece of evidence of which I'm trying to search for to prove this anecdotal feeling I have about the benefit 
of sport and tennis especially. <clears throat> I recently came back and here we go, if I could just put it down. Tennis got me a sports scholarship to a very good school that did sports, but also took care of the person. That's, that school, Millfield in Somerset, was a platform to get into tertiary education. It actually got me into Cambridge. Amazing. Cambridge got me into a, a job in the city of London where it was possible to have an extraordinarily good life, but it wasn't for me in terms of the financial world. So I went back to the same university by chance as I keep in contact with them. And they had done a longitudinal study of people taking university degrees at Cambridge. They discovered through their longitudinal study that the students who dug deeply into sports at university got a higher proportion of good grades and a lower proportion of poorer grades at the uh, university examinations. Yeah. They came out and Cambridge University wrote to say they believe that deep participation in sporting activities enhances academic achievement. And I would suggest that if we have governing bodies who would like to do 20 year studies or 10 year studies, over kids who play tournament, county, junior, international, blah, 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 and then compare it with what they do academically and career-wise, I would say they will find that the children get better grades than the norm, Yeah, better grades than they would have been expected to get if they didn't play tennis, that they will take less job interviews to get jobs, they will be on a career promotion pathway faster than others and especially tennis because of this lonely journey you take in a very stressful situation but you can repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and even when you get into the wonderful no oxygen areas of top 100 you better get used to life because when you're 50 in the world everybody would dream of becoming you lose 50% of all the matches you ever play. It never stops. You've got to get ready for some learning how to lose. <laughs> now, Keith, I know we, we, we've not got too much time left, but we're both, I mean, this is just brilliant stuff. And this gets to the heart of, in a way, why I've become a tennis coach. I've not become a tennis coach to, to produce Wimbledon champions. I've become a tennis coach to help prepare people for their journey through life. And you're, you know, and you're an inspiration for that in terms of understanding all the, the things that you're getting through it. Um, we're both very passionate about Derbyshire and Derbyshire tennis. We've got a good number of listeners who are from Derbyshire. What, what would your advice be for our young junior county players? Well, it would be a joint project between junior county players and the parents or the guardians or whoever it is who takes care of that junior county player. Because one of the things I would suggest the junior always wants is to be able to start to live their life. You've got children. I want to dress with my own clothes, eat my own food, do what I like, watch what I like, go to bed when I like, etc., etc. So they want to get grown up very quickly. 
Yeah. And I would imagine that most parents, unless they, uh, unless they are truly exceptional, would want their children eventually to become independent so that they get out of the house, they give the parents back their lives, and the parents can enjoy their children who are now adults at a distance rather than looking after them. And every time, if that is the case, and if that can resonate a little bit, as it were, even if I over-exaggerate to make my point, every time that junior player walks onto a tennis court, and I'm talking a match court, because we're talking about learning the tennis game, which is the tennis match. Yeah. Because the coaching and the practice and the physical training are only, only platforms to support match play. They are not ends in themselves. They are tools to acquire. That that child is getting their dreams come true because nobody can stop them from doing whatever they want to do on that match court when they close the gate. And the parents are getting their dreams come true because they can't influence or interfere or do anything about the child who is now independent. Yeah. And so watching a tennis match is not watching a ball being hit. It is watching an experience of independence, yeah. which bodes well for the future if the child wants to go back into a match court time and time and time again. Yeah. So, so support it as parents and hopefully have a wonderful adventure in the tennis experience as a kid. And it's, it's so true, isn't it? And I think that the match play is where you learn these lessons and it's most intense, intense sort of nature of competing is where you're learning the skills that we've touched on, presenting, resilience, um, uh, teamwork, if it's doubles, um, learning how to lose, putting things behind you. You know, you may have a disagreement on a whatever, but you put it behind you, you move on, you shake hands at the end and you, you get on. It's all amazing lessons. I, I And, and it, just to, to say as well, you know, just because all these life lessons, but with it comes a tremendous amount of fun in the prep zones when you, you're going out and you're playing. And I had a great example the other day where a guy, it was pouring with rain and uh, I got a call from a parent and the, the young, the child came on and was like, can we just give it a go? Can we just go out and hit some balls? I know it's absolutely, can we give it a go? And I was like, of course we can, man. And the session, the fun that we had, just going out in the pouring rain, hitting tennis balls. <laughs> exactly. Just simply saying, can we have a tennis experience? Yeah. Yeah. Whether place or otherwise. Yeah. And tennis, for those junior county players, gives them an opportunity that no other sport will. No matter who they are, when they're in their young teenage years, they are not going to play in adult football. They're not going to play in adult rugby. They're not going to play in adult basketball. They're not going to be able to play in adult swimming. Yeah. Because those are for a time after puberty and all of those areas when you become adult. But tennis is so skilled-based, you can be the best doubles team in the club with your adult partner yes. because your skill is enough to be able to get you as the number one pair for Church Broughton 
or for Reason. the county club or whatever. So forming of relationships. There's another one, isn't it? You know, forming of relationships with adults, forming relationships with people who are significantly older than you. But through tennis, you learn how to do you it. You learn to do it. And you're getting all your dreams can come true by being involved in tennis and digging in deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. yeah. Now then, Keith, we, one question to finish. Um, this is a question, actually, I, I went uh, quite a long way down the road of, of like a, a radio presenters. Um, I used to present some Oxford student radio and then I went for a few jobs and I got asked a question in a job interview. It's always stuck with me as a, as a great yes. question. And whenever I've interviewed people for work, I've always asked this question. Yes. Now, if you could go for a drink with anybody, anybody at all, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Uh, it would be Abraham Lincoln. Ah. And the reason why is because I would want to know how a person who was, who voluntarily chose to do something he didn't want to do, which is to lead a nation in civil war. Yeah was able to cope with the mayhem, destruction, disaster, catastrophe of a country fighting internally as a civil war, the Confederates against the Union. Yeah. And the reason why Abraham Lincoln is because he never wanted power, but he was chose to take it on despite the lack of ambition for it, because it was believed that he was the person best <clears throat> able to bring a conclusion which was of the least damage. Wow. And that is in contrast to being run by people who desire power, who therefore forget that it is to be used for everybody's good not their personal aggrandizement. Come on, what a historical lesson for the contemporary times <laughs> in which we live, eh? Goodness gracious. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, you know, and that's interesting, Keith. I, I went to, uh, through, through tennis, I got to go to an American university for a year and I got a book on Abraham Lincoln and I, I read it, you know, 20 years ago, however long yes. ago it was. Yes. I will look that up again and reread it, man. That's inspired me to do that. Well, I'm delighted because so many of the problems that we do have, and it can be localized, very localized, the local this and the local that, never mind the county this or the county that, or the national this or the national that, can be distorted, the message can be distorted by people who have their hands on the levers of power, having agendas which yeah. are not openly declared. Yeah, so true. And therefore, we as people who are involved with meaningful activities like sport need to have the bottle to get up and shout about these things that we want it in this way or that way. It doesn't have to be top-down rule when we have got the opportunity of being able to have, as it were, local-led democracy. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in terms of, I think that the reason I would 
I went on the Derbyshire Tennis Management Committee is because genuinely, you know, I want I want our tennis to thrive in our county. And it's actually an interesting one. It was when the grass courts at um, Darley Park in Derby, yes. um, they were disappearing one by one. Yes. Nobody yes. was being told why, yet they yes. were the scene of some of my greatest <laughs> tennis moments in the Derby Park tournament. And the court was disappearing. I was like, what is happening here? I need to get on this management committee and try to do something about it. <laughs> and that's the smart way. Get on. Get a get a hand on the level of power so that you can <laughs> put your agenda in there. Wonderful. Brilliant. Hey, well, Keith, listen, I mean, I hope we'll get to do another podcast because we've touched on one specific area of what has been an unbelievable tennis journey for, for your good self. So I think yeah, I'd love to love to get you back on, on uh, my tennis journey again. But, but for now, thank you so much. It's uh, as you know, I found the sort of tennis for life is a real inspiration. So, so thank you. Robin, thank you. Because by being able to have this discussion over this internet connection, it saved me having to catch a train, put a stool in my bag, get out, travel down to Hyde Park Corner, walk <laughs> into the rain, put up a stool and start shouting to some passerby who's much too busy to actually listen to what I've got to say. I'll do it for you. Becky's got like a mobile <laughs> speaker. I can wheel it down. I'll put it up and I'll play this interview for you. You don't even need to go. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll save me the train journey. Thanks so much, Rob. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye, Rob. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.